With the amount of information in the media these days, I'm sure that most of us are aware that any lump under the skin should be treated with caution. But are all lumps that tend to stay and sometimes start to get bigger likely to be cancer? What can we do when we find any sort of lump? Dr Peter O'Brien, a well-known plastic surgeon in Newcastle, is with me to answer these questions. Thank you very much for coming in and joining us today. It's my pleasure, Iris. Are all lumps under the skin something to worry about? Yes, they certainly are. By nature, we don't like lumps growing on our skin or under our skin. It gives us all a fright, and really, we should be doing something about it pretty much straight away. When you get a small lump appearing on your skin and it doesn't go away, you often think, is it cancer? Is it going to get bigger? Or will it go away? These questions come to us and and stay with us until we do something about it. This is where a doctor has to be consulted. Now, he can't tell you what the lump is. He can look at it and feel it, and he can say, I think it could be this, I think it could be that, but it doesn't matter if it's growing. You have to do something about it. So where it's going to end up, nobody knows. Now, it's quite logical that if something has started to grow, that it's going to continue growing, and this is when something really has to be done about it. What's the difference between a lump and a mole? Well, a mole is uh, a mole. You remember the little mole of wind in the willows, a little black thing that hops under the ground and pops out? That's what moles are. They're little black spots that appear on your skin. Now, a lump is something you feel, which is a, a hard item, and maybe it doesn't have a, a colour as it is covered by skin and is under the skin. They're often simple growths. In other words, they're not malignant, the, the lumps, that is. But being covered by skin, they're often hard to diagnose without removal. Now, on the skin is different. You can look at them and it's easier to reach a diagnosis. But under the skin, is they're more likely to be benign, but the diagnosis is a little bit more difficult. What is a benign growth? Well, benign means friendly. or It's not likely to damage your a benign growth is one that doesn't spread to distant parts of the body. More precisely, it doesn't kill. However, it can grow to some size and still be benign. Inside your body, you can get lumps the size of an orange, which are benign. And in that situation, they can block various sort of pipes and tubes in the body and cause considerable angst. Now, on the skin, the most simple thing which is benign is a wart. They obviously don't kill, but they grow and they spread. So people tend to downgrade warts, but they really need treating so as to prevent spread to areas where they can cause damage. For instance, to remove a wart from under the fingernail may damage the fingernail, may damage the future growth of the fingernail. So warts should be treated before they get to this stage. And also on the eyelid, if a wart grows on the eyelid to to be the size of a pea, its removal would involve uh, destruction of some of the eyelid. So it would be far better if that wart was removed when it was the size of a pinhead. So even though they're benign, they're not really not dangerous. They can be quite nasty. 
Can a benign growth develop into a malignant one? Can it change its yes. persona? Yes, it does. Nobody knows how what proportion of benign growths become malignant, but in the stage of a benign growth, uh, as it is growing, it may change characteristics and become more grow more rapidly. It may change colour, and there's a transition there from being a benign growth to a malignant growth, and it's quite imperceptible. It's very hard to pick that defining time when benign becomes malignant. But it's, this is where you get back to the business of deciding whether to remove a growth because if it's growing, uh, the policy of nearly all doctors is to remove it because who knows what's going to pop up in the future. So if that's a benign growth, what's a malignant growth? Well, malignant means it has a tendency to kill. Uh, and this is one... Uh, growth, a malignant growth is one that spreads. Often it seeds at a distance from the main growth. In other words, you have a, a main growth and then another one related to this one pops up six inches away. Now that is a, a characteristic of malignancy. That little bits come off the main growth and they travel by the bloodstream or the lymphatic vessels to the lymph glands in the groin or in the armpit or in the neck and there they get stuck, and there they grow, and there they form a lump. So this is a new, this goes on to the next stage of treatment, which is quite difficult. You have to remove the, the growth, and you have to remove the, the secondary, or the, the bit that's in the lymph gland, or the metastasis, is what we call it. It can go on from there, from the lymph gland, it can go on to the internal organs, such as the liver, the lung, or even the brain, and as each stage of malignancy advances, it gets more and more difficult to detect, principally because the spread is microscopic. You get a tiny little thing you can't see moves from the primary growth on the leg or the arm to the lymph gland, and there it grows quietly away. And even while it's still tiny, it can move on to the lung. And once again, be very hard to detect. And often in these distant situations, they grow to a sufficiently large size that they cause obstruction to air pipes, to intestines, and lodge in bones where they cause a lot of pain. And this is why you must remove malignant growths promptly. Do we commonly know, know these as types of cancerous cells? Well, they, they are cancer. They are all cancer. We've got names for these things which are related to their appearance under the microscope. So the, the principal ones you get on the skin which are cancers or carcinomas or malignant, they're all, they're all the same, mm. all those terms are interchangeable. You have the most innocuous one is a basal cell carcinoma and one up from that is a squamous carcinoma and then up from that is something such as a melanoma and there are other unusual lesions, such as a keratoacanthoma. All of these are malignant, therefore they're all cancers, and therefore they all spread, but they have different characteristics of their spread. The, the one that is most common is the basal cell carcinoma. Now, that tends to stay where it is. So if you've got it on the nose, it grows on the nose, and if it's not treated on the nose, it'll get bigger and bigger on the nose, and it'll gradually destroy portions of the nose. 
Now, that is a malignancy just like the others are malignant, but it tends to do its destruction locally. So that's the basal cell carcinoma. The squamous cell carcinoma, it has a tendency to grow just like the basal cell carcinoma, but during its career, a bit will come off it and it will travel up to your lymph glands or to your liver. Now, that's fairly, that usually occurs fairly late in the day with squamous carcinoma, but it, it is a characteristic of squamous carcinoma, which is unpredictable and has to be nipped in the bud. Now, melanoma, which we all hear a lot about, is the same as squamous carcinoma in that it tends to spread, but it often spreads at a very early stage so that you can have a little growth on your leg, which is as big as a, oh, the end of a pencil, and the person may go to the doctor with that and they do some x-rays and they find that that has already spread to distant parts of the body. So the melanoma is the more malicious of these these creatures and it, it is the most unpredictable. But it is the one that if you treat it early, you can expect a fully normal life. You know, you don't lose on that one. Dr. Peter O'Brien is my guest today and we're talking about the difference in cancers on the skin and also about other growths, why they should be removed. Dr. O'Brien, how do you decide how to manage a problem with a skin growth? Thanks, Iris. Um, when usually a person shows this skin growth to the doctor and says something sort of laid back like, what do you think of this? And the doctor tends to look at it and he says, the first question he asks is, has it changed? And if you say, well, it's been there for 30 years and it hasn't changed at all, well, it's unlikely to be a continuing problem. If you've reported to, to the doctor because it has changed, then his face will light up and he realises that something has to be done about it. Now, You make that sound as if they enjoy doing that. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's when the person presents with a lump they are concerned about, it's very common that the only way the matter can be resolved is if the lump is removed. If you watch it, there's always an element of uncertainty in both the doctor's and in the patient's brain that maybe they should have it off. And so that's why they present to the doctor and point it out. So... Often people get these lumps and moles and things on their skin in, in parts of their body which they don't readily see, particularly their back and the backs of their legs. And they sort of rumble on for quite a time before they, they show up to the doctor. And often the doctor, while listening to the backs of their chest with his stethoscope, he, he notices these various lumps and moles and things and recommends that they be, be removed. In some cases, the doctor may say it looks benign and it looks all right and it doesn't look as though it's going to be a problem. But he can actually, if he's uncertain, he can take a biopsy. Now, this is a little bit that he, he uses a little tree fine or a little uh, tiny little thing that's a millimetre across and he can take a tiny little bit out of the middle of it and get it examined. Now, that's good and bad in that it's good in that you get a report from the pathologist on the negative side is that some parts of these growths are benign and some parts are malignant. And just by luck, you may get a benign bit instead of a malignant bit. And uh, that's one of the drawbacks of biopsy. 
although if the growth is small enough, the doctor in biopsying the growth can remove the whole lot. And this means you've had it treated and you also get it sent to the pathologist. If the doctor doesn't do that, he can say, well, you've had it for years and it hasn't changed. Why not come back and we'll have another look at it in six months' time? Patients often feel a little bit uncertain about this as they initially presented it to the doctor in the backs of their minds thinking it would be removed. And uh, they may still feel that way. If they show up after a few months, they've still got it on their mind. Usually the doctor will remove it for them. Now, there is another situation where the doctor can, you may be travelling away a long time, the doctor can get you to keep an eye on it because you live in another country or you're moving away. The problem with that is that if you're keeping an eye on it, it tends to get to you a bit and you really feel it should be removed, especially if you even have the slightest perception that it has grown. Supposing we have someone come and they say, look, I'm not real sure about this, it's sore. Do they usually present as being sore to touch or painful? They can do. Cancers are generally painless. Now, if you have a a growth on your skin, the, the growth often makes the skin unstable so and it may stick out a bit from the skin so it's on your the back of your hand and while you're putting your hand into a bag or a pocket or you abrade the surface of the skin abrade the growth and you create a little cut in it or a hole in it and because it's cancerous or because it's not good skin it won't heal well and it's just sitting open there waiting for a bug to get in there and a bug gets in and then it starts to get irritable and itchy. And this is, and then that goes away. You can put a bit of betadine or something on that and it gets better. But you find it comes back again. This is a, a characteristic of a lot of cancers. This is the when they get sore and painful. It often is due to infection. In some cases, the cancer can be sitting over a nerve in the skin. And this can also cause considerable pain. So people do sometimes with cancers of the skin present with pain, yes. You mentioned that sometimes they itch. Are those Mm. the sorts of occasions when, like with a mosquito bite, and you sort of Mm. keep going back Mm. to it and and scratching it? It will have that effect? You keep going back to it because Mm. the thing, you may cure the itch by curing the low-grade infection. It's not an overwhelming infection. It's just a, a very minor infection in it because it's open, an open like an open cut, and you put some some antiseptic on it, it gets better. But then it comes back again. About three weeks later, it comes back again, and you do it again and again. And as the as the tumour, as the cancer gets more advanced, it will tend to be more become more and more infected, and more and more painful. But once again, this isn't in all cases. This is in some, not even most, but in some and is is a thing to watch out for, recurrent or uh, repeated episodes of infection. Does this also equate to having an ulcer? An ulcer. Or are they two different things? No, they're pretty much the same thing. The, mm. the infection in the, the unhealed wound is the ulcer. If you have an unhealed wound that remains unhealed for a, a length of time, but it can, if it's not a cancer, if it can heal of its own. If it is an unhealed wound, you can call this an ulcer. An ulcer is another word for it is a sore. And it, it's a terrible word. It seems to be people say, oh, is it an ulcer? And they're, they're terrified of the terminology. Mm. But if you say, no, it's a sore, they say, oh, that's all right. So the, usually when cancers become ulcers, 
what's happened is that it's first of all the cancer is a flat growth and then as I say the middle of it doesn't heal very well and that bit breaks down and you get a sort of little instead of having a little split that's unhealed you have a little round wet sore and that gradually spreads that's the ulcer and it remains unhealed and it gets repeated infection in it and really it has to have something done about it otherwise the, the problem will get worse and worse and worse. You're listening to Wellbeing and we're talking today about skin cancers and how they're treated. Dr O'Brien, we've had a patient come to you, they've got something you diagnose as a BCC, a basal cell carcinoma. How would you go about treating that? The first thing I would say is that that wouldn't necessarily be my final diagnosis. That's what you call my provisional diagnosis. That's, that's my hunch, that it's a BCC. Maybe about 20 or 30% of those are wrong. It's not a BCC, it's an SCC. Or it can be a precursor of a BCC. In other words, if it's, it's not quite a BCC yet, so, but it just looks like a BCC. The terminology basal cell carcinoma means that it has basal cells in it. Now, when you're doing this sort of work, you can't see the cells. It's only the pathologist who can see the cells. So our hunch says it's a basal cell carcinoma and therefore it behaves like a basal cell carcinoma. We will treat it like a basal cell carcinoma, but we'll send it to the pathologist and get it confirmed and he may come back with something else. And we may have to change the treatment because we were wrong. That's unusual. And usually we tend to be quite generous with what we remove so that we get rid of the thing once and for all, whatever it is. So how do you actually go about, what's the process of of going through? Well, first of all, it's important that the person knows what they're in for. I generally, these things are mainly on their face, the face being a very common sight because it's sun exposed. I generally draw on the person with a texture and I say, well, this is the area that has to be removed. It may be as big as your thumbnail or it may be as big as a postage stamp. Fairly big areas on your face. All right, in other parts of the body, but on your face, quite large areas. Now, that drawing is done with the aid of a magnifying glass. And that's all I'm looking at is the surface of it. I can't see what's underneath. I can only see the surface. But from my experience, if you draw this line and then you cut into the skin along that line and then gradually make it deeper underneath the middle of the growth, you generally get it all. Do you use a local anaesthetic or a general? I always aim towards local anaesthetic, but there are some people who want a general anaesthetic mm. because they want the thing to be completely removed from their mind. But a local anaesthetic, administered by a needle, and they hurt. If they're in their, if they're in your face, they hurt more. And so I would not give a local anaesthetic into someone's face unless I gave them a sedative, first of all. They're so miserable, particularly in the nose. Oh, dear, oh, dear. They, they complain bitterly about them. But you can give a sedative and you can then give local anaesthetic without causing any discomfort at all so that when the procedure's over, the patient says, oh, is it done? You know, they've got no awareness that they've had an operation. So the sedative, as well as making you, bombing you out a little bit, gives you amnesia. You can't remember the procedure. And that's wonderful. And that's why people have general anaesthetics a general anaesthetic is a more involved uh, process which, which requires the presence of an anaesthetist 
and you are made totally unconscious and he has control of your breathing and your pulse and your uh, general running and he wakes you up at the end. Whereas with the, the local anaesthetic, which is the needle, and the sedative, you come out of it within minutes of, of getting it. And, but you go through this period of amnesia and comfort. So sometimes people have multiple skin cancers which require four or five operations. And if they're hurt once, they would hate you for the rest of their lives. They're like mm. dogs. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you kick a dog, he won't come near you again. <laughs> but anyway, with this removal, you want to remove the, the term. We use the term runners now and then, which are like the roots, like you get around weeds and so on. It's a bit of a guess where they are. You know, you want to get outside the runners, but you want to not take too much, you know, I mean, because you create a mark on the skin. Okay, so you've got your hole, yep. you've cut out what, what's yeah. sitting there. Yeah. What's the next procedure? How do you close the skin over that without leaving too much of a scar? Well, you, well you're always going to get a scar. Mm. If you cut the skin, if you cut it on anything, a beer bottle or a razor blade or a scalpel, you'll always get a scar. Now, you've got to place the scar in the best line, the natural crease line of the skin if you can. This makes it less obvious. And... You have to make the judgment, having drawn this line around the thing and removed the growth, you have to make the judgment whether you can just pull it all together or you have to do some form of reconstruction to repair the, the hole you've made. Now, pulling it together depends upon the looseness of the skin. In some areas of the body, that's impossible. For instance, on the tip of the nose, because it's very convex, it's very round, not many things you can remove with a reasonable margin and just stitch up. It just doesn't work, and, and it distorts the shape of the nose. Other areas where it's convex include the, the round bits of the top of the forehead. That's where there's, there's bone underneath and the skin is tight, and if you remove something, it's hard to stitch up. Uh, and the point of the chin's another one. So some areas are hard to just stitch up now. So first thing is you look at it and see whether it's possible to stitch up. With experience, you say, no, that won't stitch up. There's two other avenues, two other ways of treatment. One is to use some skin that's nearby to the thing you've removed. You cut the skin that's nearby to shape it so that it will fit into the hole you've made. And this is called a flap. So you remove your growth and then you cut the skin in such a shape so that it will swing over like a gate and stitch into the hole. This is very neat. It keeps the operation in one site. The skin next to the hole you've made matches closely the skin you've removed in colour. And if it all heals up nicely, it's, it's beautiful. But it may, you've got to be careful, it doesn't compromise your removal of the growth. You don't sort of remove the growth so you can repair it that way. You've got to remove the growth to remove the growth. And then you look at how you're going to fix it up. Otherwise... You may be compromised in your removal of the growth because in the back of your mind is this way of fixing it up which you feel you may have to use. So you have to drop that out of your mind. The next thing is to use is a skin graft which is a patch of skin from somewhere, some other part of the body which can be as big as the hole you made. If you make a big hole, you get a bigger skin graft and you stitch this into place. And that does the trick. When you take the graft from another part of the body, from, for example, from the inside of the arm or the leg or something, does that take long to heal afterwards? Usually you choose a spot where you can just stitch it up. Mm. So the skin you, you pinch is loose 
and you, you take your sort of like a circle of skin out of there and you just stitch it up. And that takes has stitches in it for two weeks and then it heals up. It leaves a scar there because it's stitched up tightly. But you're, you're choosing an area where a scar isn't as important. Now, the, the disadvantages, some areas have, uh, as donor sites of skin grafts, are, are good and some are bad. The, the best site is usually skin from behind the ear because it matches closely the facial skin in colour and in texture. Now, often there's not enough of that, so you have to look for skin from somewhere else, sometimes from the inner surface of the arm where there's a large amount of skin, but the colour is really not ideal, but it's the best you can do in the circumstances. Now, you've done your excision, you've covered the, the wound, you've put your graft in, fixed it all up. Yeah. What happens to the patient? They go home then. And are there any special in instructions for them when they oh, go yes. home at that immediate time? Yes, there are. They're, they're, well, the, the complications of the surgery are immediate bleeding. Uh, when the, during the operation, you've cut numerous little blood vessels, and sometimes they stop bleeding spontaneously, but generally you have to cook them a little bit or coagulate them with a little hot electric wire. Now, those, those vessels remain like that, and then on that, layer you put the skin graft and you stitch it into place now if the blood pressure should rise immediately after the operation you can burst these blood vessels and you get bleeding under the skin graft which wrecks it and the causes of that the causes of this increase in blood pressure is the most common one is talking which increases the pressure in your face and in your head and in the operation site talking and then Drinking hot drinks or alcohol opens up the little blood vessels. Moving around, being active, increases blood pressure, blows the, blows the thing apart. That's the, that's the most common early complication, but really would only affect one in every 80 cases. It's pretty rare because you've got to lay the law on the line as to what they can and can't do, what people can and can't do in the immediate time after the operation. The second most common complication is infection. This can come from out of the air or it can come from the skin nearby or it can come from finger contamination. Usually you can't determine where it comes from and it's not very common. And usually we uh, very frequently with people, especially if they have a sore, as I was talking about mm. before, that usually carries infection and we give them antibiotics before we do the operation because the operation may tend to contam be contaminated by the sore that you're removing. So we give them antibiotics some time before the operation so that when they have the operation, they're loaded up with antibiotics which should combat any potential infection. Very briefly, Dr O'Brien, advice for people that they think they might have some form of problem with their spots, moles and whatever? You should go and see a GP. He's been at it a long time and he or she learnt a lot about this and often they can treat a great many of them and it's only the more complicated ones that they refer for specialist treatment. But I think maintaining contact with your GP enables him to keep an eye on you and to inform you about the dangers of the sun and sun exposure and advise you as to what you should use on your skin to stop yourself getting these things. Dr Peter O'Brien, thank you so much for coming in and giving us your time. My guest today has been Dr. Peter O'Brien. Thank you for listening, and from all of us here, we wish you well.